0: In the great stock market crash connected with the Great Depression in 1929, it's estimated that $14 billion in stock value was lost in one day. That would be $252 billion today lost in one day. September 29th, 2008, way closer, There was a stock market crash. Housing lost about $6 trillion and stock value even more. So at least $17 billion in today's money. Known as Black Monday, the COVID stock market crash of March 9th, 2020, continued for a week, $20 trillion of investment money gone. Almost $24 trillion today. If you take money that has been stolen, the top seven recorded heists worldwide, over one and a quarter billion dollars of cash and goods were stolen. It's estimated the average car loses 9 to 11 percent of its value the moment you drive it off the lot. You've heard of the Great Chicago Fire, October 8th and 9th, 1871. Losses totaled over four billion dollars in today's money. The San Francisco earthquake and fire, April 18th, 2006, cost about $12 billion. Extended healthcare costs can burn through a lifetime of savings in a matter of a few months. We work so hard for our money, but it can disappear so quickly and in so many ways. The passage we're going to look at today, probably familiar to many, if not most of you, Jesus explains how we can accumulate wealth that will last forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. It is so practical. Thank you for Jesus' statements here. But Lord, even as Jason and I prayed uh, kind of before the service started, this is an area where we can have blinders on and not see issues uh, in our own heart. And so, Lord, I just pray that though the words should be pretty clear, that, Lord, you'd help them to impact each of us in, um, in our present way of thinking and uh, in our actions, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, Now going to look at verses 19 to 24, so Matthew chapter 6. first point I think Jesus is going to make in verse 19 is don't trust in today's earthly wealth. The reason is because it won't last. That's why I started with all of those losses connected with stock market and fires and theft and everything else. So don't trust in today's earthly wealth. The first reason, because it won't last. Look at verse 19. Do not store up treasures. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I asked myself two questions of that several weeks ago uh, as I looked at kind of the preaching assignment that Dan has laid out. So I started looking at this, and I thought, okay, what are those treasures? Is it just more than kind of money and things? And then secondly, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures. So does it mean that I can't be wealthy? Those were two logical questions to come out of that. So let me look at those. The word store up and the word treasures actually come from the same Greek word. And it's a word from which we get thesaurus. A treasure is just anything that you can store up or accumulate. So a, a thesaurus is an accumulation of words connected to other words. So that's, that's where we get the idea of a thesaurus. And so we could translate this, don't treasure up for yourself treasures. doesn't tell us what those treasures are yet. But, uh, but that's, that's at least how to kind of look at that. So anything that you can store up, anything you can collect, anything you can keep could be qualified as a treasure. So what's the answer to question one? Is this kind of just money and, and the typical kinds of things that we can collect? Actually, I think it is because when we look at Jesus' reason for not storing that up, he gives us very kind of earthly things. Okay, moth, rust, theft. So those are the kinds of things that really impact worldly treasures. So money, possessions, those kind of things. So I think that is what he's talking about there. Nothing we own is completely safe from destruction or theft. So question two, is this saying I shouldn't be wealthy? No. Okay, moving on. No, let me pause there for a little bit. (laughs) The idea of this passage is when we simply stockpile money, when we hoard money. That's the picture that's being used. It's simply, it's not just keeping some back because our furnace might go down. Or here the trustees and the board look very carefully at, we need to have an emergency fund. What happens if the roof gets blown off? Okay, okay. We need to be able to say, uh, Michael and crew, we need you to fix that, and we probably ought to have some money to do that. The boy, So he's not at all saying that you can't have a reserve fund. In fact, there's enough places in the scripture we can't rabbit trail there that tells you you really should have at least somewhat a reserve fund. But this is just to kind of make a show of your wealth to... Protect yourself. We'll get to this later. Protect yourself when you can't really trust God to protect you. Don't worry, God. Got it handled. I've got X amount of money in the bank. We're okay. That's really what he's talking about. And the reason we get that is from that phrase, for yourselves. Okay, so don't store up treasures for yourselves. So the idea is this is very selfish. It's for our own sake. What was the problem in Matthew chapter 19? You can jump ahead to that if you want to. The context is the rich rich young ruler, and Jesus speaks of wealth there. And he said this, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus is not declaring here that we can't have wealth. He's not saying that at all. For that young man, though, his wealth was what was keeping him from following Jesus. Because we know from that story, the man was grieved and he walked away. So he wasn't willing to give that up. This is specific to that man because that was his idol. Anything. That causes us to not obey God the way we should can become our idol. Often it is money, but it can be our job, it can be other people, it can be all kinds of things. That was the issue with the rich young ruler. So he's not saying, everybody out there, go and sell everything. He's never told us to do that. Luke chapter 12, the context Jesus is talking about covetousness. So just to prove that he's not saying you can't be wealthy, Let me read you just a couple verses there. Sell your possessions, so it sounds like the same thing, and give to charity. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near or moth destroys, for where your treasure is, their heart your will be also. We're going to see some of those exact phrases as we continue on. And the key to that is, in just a few verses later, if you remember, there's a story about a man who is wealthy, decides to tear down his barns because the harvest is really good, and it wasn't out of proper preparation, but it's to go, you know what, got this covered. This was the trust issue, and, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. So that's the exact same context, or same, same thought going on, is there's a trust issue going on here, and there's a store up for what purpose thing going on here. Paul writes um, in First Timothy, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And in the context The good foundation for the future is not two months from now when something happens. No, this is future as eternal. Again, we never see. In fact, I'll give you some verses a little bit later that says we are supposed to prepare for some contingencies. So, is it saying that we shouldn't be wealthy? No. What's another reason? Because throughout the Old and New Testament, look at some of the people that we find there. Abraham was incredibly wealthy. He had money, he had influence, he had military power. Abraham was wealthy. When we first meet Job, Job is very wealthy. And even at the end of the book, God gives him double what he had before. So obviously it was okay for him to have wealth because God gave it to him. It is right for us to protect to provide for our families, to make reasonable plans for the future, to make wise investments, all of that is perfectly okay, to have money to carry on a business, to give to the poor, support the, Lord, the Lord's work. It's when we gain it dishonestly or we use it just for ourselves, that's when we get into a problem. So don't trust in today's earthly wealth, Wealth one, because it won't last Secondly, because it cannot ultimately protect or provide. We're going to see this again in a couple more verses about not trusting in that. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. We trust in the Lord our God. If you were a king, if you were the head of a nation and an army, what did you want? You wanted a big army and a lot of horses because the idea is those will take care of me. But yet the Lord defeated some pretty big enemies with a very few people. So those horses and those men didn't help. Isaiah 31.1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they're very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. It was the evangelist Billy Graham who um, said he had never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I mean, money and wealth is is useful, and, and we need to have some here. It's very useful. But no matter how much or how little that you have here, you can't take it with you. So the idea is, what are you doing with it here? Even the most expensive security system can't protect you from every possible danger. And wealth doesn't provide happiness or peace. I am dismayed how many over the last six months wealthy people have taken their own lives. You just see that from athletes who, who are making more than you and I will ever make in our lifetimes. They might make that in one or two ball games and then jump off the roof of a motel. And we just see that. So wealth can never actually provide that deep peace, that deep happiness that we want. But it's built into us. that We always want a little more. Once I get a little more, that'll be okay. And we get that little more and it's still not okay. And that's really what he's cautioning us about. So don't uh, trust in your bank accounts. One disaster can empty that account. So don't trust in today's earthly wealth because it won't last and it can't ultimately protect Or provide. Look at verse 20. The second kind of principle we want to look at is we really need to prioritize heavenly treasures. I spent most of my time trying to figure out a piece of this. Let me read it for you Matthew 6 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So my two questions were these What are heavenly treasures? I mean, he can't be talking about, uh, you know, a bank account. It's not like we're going to go in heaven and we're going to have first bank of heaven. And we have a certain amount of money in there and we get our, our heavenly debit card. And it, so I, I just can't picture kind of a, a money economy there. So, so what's the, what are the treasures? And then secondly, why do I need treasures in heaven? I mean, he, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we're not supposed to store up treasures for ourselves here, but we are supposed to store them up there. So what are the treasures and why do I need them? Those are the two questions that I've pondered. So store up is the exact same phrase that we saw before. So this one, that one was don't treasure up treasures. This one is do treasure up treasures. So it's the same exact um, phrase. So the end of the verse think lets us know that Jesus is talking about a different kind of treasure so the end of the verse because he goes back to the moth rust thieves I don't know that heaven's going to be full of moths I don't know that you know whatever they have there if we have a, kind of an iron tool I don't know that it's going to rust and can't really picture thieves getting away very well in heaven so so he's obviously talking about a different kind of treasure there. So what qualifies as a heavenly treasure? Again, remember, a treasure is simply something that can be collected, something that, that you earn or something that you're given, but something you can collect. So what qualifies? I want to pose at least a few ideas what could be involved in heavenly treasures. One of them are crowns. If you've done a study or looked through the scripture um, that we can earn, all by God's grace, various crowns. Let me list some of those for you. There's the victor's crown, 1 Corinthians 9. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thess 2. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4. The crown of life, James 1 and Revelation 2. The crown of glory, 1 Peter. Now what do these crowns look like? I just can't picture some shiny thing that we put on our head. Because what if you get two or three? Are you then trying to keep to make sure they don't fall off? No, I can't picture, I don't know what they look like. We would understand a crown here, but it doesn't mean it has to be the same thing there. But the fact is that you can get one or more of these, and those passages, it's definitely worth more of a study for you. Those passages give you an idea of how you get those. Somehow they're going to give God more glory. They're not for me to walk around going, I've got six and you've got two. <laughs> what did you do wrong? No, it's, it's not that feeling at all. Okay, but boy, by God's grace, see how God's grace has been evident in our lives. So I don't think it has anything to do with money. So crowns is a possibility. We actually get rewarded for service. Let me read you a couple passages. You're in Matthew, if you want to just look ahead to chapter 10. Um, you don't have the verses back there, Margaret. Um, so, just a couple of verses of Matthew 10, verse 41 and 42. So, these are kind of service rewards. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So, we're striving for righteousness. So, there's some reward. For our service and for our our, our um, efforts at being righteous, verse 42, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of water to drink, t- truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So there's some reward for just being good to people in need. Again, I don't know what those are going to look like, but there are rewards promised. I think those become Treasures. Revelation twenty two twelve Behold I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. And in that that passage, that Revelation passage, John quotes from part of Isaiah forty and part of Isaiah 62. So there's there's some things that as we live out righteously before God, as we're involved in his service, we're accumulating something up there that we'll be able to enjoy. It doesn't go into much more. Okay, One more possibility. The inheritance. This is just one of lots of verses. So we all know what inheritance is. Okay, Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So there's an inheritance that's waiting for us because we're part of God's family. And many of you have been the recipient of parts of someone's inheritance that that passed before you. And when we're reunited with Christ and whether by death, by the rapture, that that change happens, there's some inheritance that's going to be connected with that. Again, there's never an indication that it's money. But these are things that, that we can use. We can treasure up. So, don't trust in today's earthly wealth. We need to prioritize. So why would I need them? Why would I need them? The the, the idea that we kind of might get, but I don't think is there at all, is, you know what, if I don't have a very big treasure of those up there, I'm going to somehow feel shorted. And heaven's going to be wonderful, but not as wonderful as somebody else. Okay. Since I pick on Dennis on negative all the time, so Dennis has got this whole treasure trove, and I've got—I mean, I've I've got a pocket full of treasure. Okay, and so my heaven is not quite as good as it. No, there's nothing connected with that whatsoever. Okay, but we are to build up. There's going to be some, some, something in those treasures that brings God glory that we're told, we, I want you to prioritize these. Okay? And you do that by righteous living. You do that by serving the Lord. So don't trust in today's earthly wealth. We need to prioritize heavenly treasures. Number three, your priorities demonstrate where your heart is. Verse 21. So back to Matthew 6. If you move to Matthew 10, back to Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the order here is real critical. The idea is not, if I put my money in the right place, then my heart will change to accommodate that, to reflect that. No, the order is, what I do with my money is an indication of where my heart already is. So you can't just sort of of, buy yourself a good heart. Because, oh, there's a poor person, and good, I've got an extra water bottle, good, so that just earned me some, some yes, some thumbs up in heaven. Uh, no, the fact that I gave somebody a, a water bottle indicates there's something good going on in my heart. Okay, So I think that is critical. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's, that's critical. There there are some passages that show that God's principle about money has not changed. Let me just read you a few of those. Because again, your treasure and your heart are deeply connected. What you do with your treasure is an indication of where your heart is. It won't change where your heart is. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth, and from the first of all your produce, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with New vine. So prioritize heavenly things. Jesus said in Luke 6:38, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. Paul assures us in 2nd Corinthians 9:6, who he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But let me give you a little time out here. It doesn't mean you give God 10,000 bucks. He's going to automatically give you 100,000. Okay, there are too many people that have been on too many um, shows and promoting this idea that God is obligated financially to respond to you as you are generous financially. There is never anything in there. The general principle, though, is if I'm generous, God has a way of rewarding that. It may not be that I tie into my BB&T account, it's like, whoa, where did all that come from? No, that's, that's just not the way it works, okay? So he's not promising that you give him a buck, he'll give you 10. There's none of that. But the idea is that God does have a way of responding generously to our generosity, If we spend most of our time and effort accumulating earthly wealth, that's an indication our heart is stuck here. Now we're going to touch on that again. Then he puts these two verses in here. This is where I spent the rest of my time (laughs) trying to figure out these two verses. Look at verses 22 and 23, and I think it's an illustration of his point, but it doesn't seem to fit this section whatsoever. So there's your treasure, there's your heart, there's all of those kind of things. Then he goes, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And my question was, how in the world does that fit in with heavenly and earthly treasures? Now we're talking about eyeballs and light and darkness. Okay. I don't know how many commentaries I read on that. Some of them just skip and sort of say, yeah, this is an illustration of what he said before. How is it an illustration? So they weren't helpful at all. But here's what, here's what I think I gleaned from that. It is an illustration of his, the points he's made before because the eye is our only way of being able to see things. That seems obvious. okay? seems real obvious. So I can't see you if my eyes don't work, okay? And if there's some issues, and we have all kinds of them now. Age-related macular degeneration, cataracts, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, and then a whole list of things I couldn't even attempt to pronounce. All things that can go wrong with our eyes and if that's the case then we can't see clearly, but if our eyes are clear, that we can see clearly. So again, how does that apply to money and priorities and no moths and rust and all that kind of stuff? It came down to the definition of the word clear. Okay, so if your eye is clear, King James translates that single. The idea is single-minded on the things of the Lord. Okay now a couple things are kind of clicking in here. So to paraphrase it if your eyes healthy you can see clearly. If your eyes diseased you can't see clearly. But the idea of single minded towards the things of God will help us to understand priorities. So if because I'm trying to rid, uh, live righteously my eye is clear to see oh I need to I need to shift my focus. I've gotten the, I've gone astray a little bit here. Or there's some people in need that I may have just walked past before, not seen whatsoever. But if I'm looking to see how I can be used of God, no matter where it's at, this country or another country or families or work or school or wherever, if I'm looking to see how can God use me, my eye is clear. It's single-minded. I can see opportunities. I can see what my priorities are. I can see places where I might be able to use the wealth God has entrusted to me to be able to help. That seemed to make sense to me. If the eye is bad, then that means the heart is selfishly indulgent. Okay, so the principle is this. The way we look at use our money is a sure barometer of our spiritual condition. Let me say it again. Um, Dr. John MacArthur, pastor in California. The way we look at and use our money is a sure barometer of our spiritual condition. So it just helps us to see where we're at. Well, let's look at how we treat the needs of others. So, number one, don't trust in today's earthly wealth. Number two, we need to prioritize heavenly treasures. Number three, your priorities demonstrate where your heart is. And then number four, last one, is a heart divided is a defeated heart. So a divided heart is a defeated heart. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. i will give you a, a fancy... Um, Way um, method of constructing sentences that both those writing in Greek and especially in Hebrew. So I'm going to give you a fancy term. It's called chiastic parallelism. Sounds really impressive, but think of it as a big X. Okay, so it's A B B A. So the middle two connect, and the outer two connect. So it's an X. So if we look at this, and this is this is a way of Crafting a a sentence to really bring about this is an important thing. We're going to put it in this way so you get that this is important. So, hate and love. Love is connected to devoted and hate is connected to despise. So, A... B B A is is just a, it's a, con, a construct with this. He's not trying to say to, to, to love and to be devoted to are any different. There's different words to to make his point. I just thought that was a that was an interesting observation that Jesus is trying to really make a point here. In a way, they would go, oh, they didn't have the term for it, but that's a chiastic parallelism. That's pretty cool. You read to the Psalms, you can see those all over the place. Okay, let's move from grammar lesson back to the text here. Okay, third choice has to do with allegiance to masters. Just as we can't focus on treasures here and focus on treasures there, we can't serve with the entirety of our being here and there equally well, now the word for masters, it's the normal word that's that's translated lord uh, throughout the New Testament. The idea is a slave owner. So it's not an employee. Okay? So it's a slave owner and he's specifically picking that word because of what he's trying to say. So many of you know that I have several employers um, obviously, I'm full-time here. Most of my week is spent here. But I teach at two different colleges, and there's some other things that, that I do. And, and, and they, they're all technically my employers, and I try to be a really, really good employee here and a really good employee in, in all four of those other places. But, but a slave can't do that. If a slave decides, I'm going to have Dennis and Ray as my boss... That's not going to work. Because the time that I give to Dennis, I'm taking away from Ray. And the time and effort and energy that I'm giving to Ray, I'm taking away from Dennis. And that's really what he's saying here. You can't be devoted to the earth and the things of the earth and also say that you're devoted to God and the things of God. You just can't do that. Slaves can't do that. You're devoted to one or the other. Slave owner has total control of the slaves. I just started an audio book. It's um, 42 key events in American history. Fascinating book. Uh, but he's just starting into how did we as a country be a slave country? And it will be year 21-something before we'll have been a free country as long as we're a slave country. And his point is, how did we get to that? Because the slave owner was the master. Fascinating part. He, he just touched on it. He's going to get back to it. But that's the whole idea, and that's what I think Jesus is talking about here. If we're a slave, and it's we're told several places throughout the Scripture uh, that that we are slaves. Romans 6, if you want to look at one section. If we are slaves to God, he is the master. And so we can't be equally a slave to any earthly master or thing. That's the point he's making. You can't. Why? Because their instructions are different. One commands us to walk by faith. The other demands we walk by sight. One calls us to be humble, and the other to be proud. The one to set our minds on things above, the other to set them on things below. One calls us to love light, the other to love darkness. The one tells us to look toward things unseen and eternal, and the other to look at things seen and temporal. So we are slaves to God. If you're a believer, you are a slave to God. To God, the problem is sometimes we're still trying to listen to the master of the earth, and the scripture says that right now Satan is Lord of the kind of earth Lord Little L. Okay, he's he's kind of the master here, he has control of a lot of things. So, we can't, can, we can't claim control that we're controlled by God, that we're his slave, if we're also trying to give a chunk of our allegiance to somebody else. Borrowing from that concept, uh, it was Abraham Lincoln, June 16th, 1858. He's trying to convince the union that they can't be half slave, half free, made this statement. You're familiar with it. And he actually took it from the scriptures. A house divided against itself cannot stand it. I'm saying that a spirit, our spirit, is defeated if we try and be a slave to God and to the earth. Jesus reminds us in the prayer in John 17, we are in the world, so there's things that we have to do in the world, but we're not of the world. Our citizenship is somewhere else. So a def- divided heart is a defeated heart because you can't fully serve either of them effectively. So we get to the point, the so what Dan I always talk about the end where you're going, so what? What's what what, what why all of the stuff that I just spent 25 minutes talking about? So I've I have a couple ideas there to just kind of wrap up things. And these are questions directed to me, and I'm gonna give you a personal story right at the end. Is your need to provide necessary earthly resources? Becoming such a priority that's taking you away from investing in spiritual matters. This is the first question I start asking myself as I'm now trying to process this, going, okay, the way I think, the way I spend time, the way I, am I okay? And that was my question. Is my need to provide necessary earthly resources? And I put it that way because, yeah, you are called to provide resources. Scripture's clear we're supposed to work to provide for our families, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 paraphrased, don't work, don't eat. 1 Timothy five eight, don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. I don't know that I feel like being called an infidel. Okay? So th- there's, there's a command here to, to provide, okay? but it's when you decide to take that another sales call on Sunday morning. Occasionally, I mean, those things happen. Okay, You are still trying to be a good employee as well. But if every Sunday you're either so exhausted from the 50 sales calls before or whatever else you kind of do to provide income and all that, it's when I don't have time or energy for Sunday. That's when, to me, you yeah, might want to look at some, some priority issues there. That might be becoming more important than spiritual things. So if you find that your connection, your vital connection to the church is negatively impacted by other commitments, you have to look carefully at those other commitments. Okay. It's when the accumulation of earthly wealth negatively impacts your ability to serve God the way he deserves, then there's a problem. And then the second question, how are you investing in lasting eternal treasure? So we are told, don't don't accumulate things just for the sake of accumulating them. It's okay to have a reserve and all that kind of stuff. Just Just make sure you're not trusting in that as opposed to trusting in God. But on the flip side, then... How am I investing in the store-up-for-yourselves treasures in heaven? Someone has said you can tell a lot about people by looking at their checkbook and their calendar. So what are they spending money on? How are they getting their money? And where are they spending their time? You can see a lot about a person. All of us have three resources for which we're accountable. We're accountable for our time. So we all have 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365.25 days We all have the same amount of time. So, so how, am I, how am I using the time I have? Okay, and that's something I look at all the time because of being connected other ways. I have, an, I have an app that runs on my phone. So I track every working hour here. And if I get a call from Mike Taylor, Three Strands, I'll say, hold on, Mike. And I stop my church app. And then we're done with our our phone call. I start my church app because I want to be responsible for my time that you have committed to pay me for. Okay? How I spend my time, how you spend your time, is a real indicator. And you need to kind of keep an eye on that. How do you spend your talent? You are all gifted, and we don't have time to go into spiritual gifts and all of that. I absolutely believe in spiritual gifts. But we're all talented in certain ways. Okay? Okay? The greatest example of that was, early this year, I was a cubbies leader. (laughs) Cubbies, the two- and three-year-olds. I don't really do well with two- and three-year-olds. Okay, Favorite group, and I know you're probably going to agree with my wife, I'm a little nuts. Middle school, that's my favorite group. I just like middle school. Next to that is high school. Okay, I just like those age groups, but put me in cubbies. So, Jacob, if you married Emily for no other reason, and I know he's at the retreat, thank you because she loves working with little kids so I could get out of cubbies. Okay? So the idea is where can I best use my talents? Where can you best use your talents? Some of you are not wired at all to serve on the board or something else, but boy, you can build things. So look at all these nice, uh, what do you call these things? What are they? Okay, these valances. Yeah. Because some of the people who built those are here this morning. Those look so nice compared, if you, if you even remember before, there were wires because we've run zillions of wires. Okay. Those people may not want to serve on the board, but boy, they sure know how to dress this place up. Okay. Please don't ever ask me to decorate for any holiday. Not going to look good. We have people gifted to do that. So the point here is, use the way God wired you. And there's there's ways to try and figure that out. So use how God's wired you to do things for him. But do things for him, because he's wired you for purpose. So we have three resources, time, talent. And I left this one to the end because a lot of people accuse, all the church wants is my money. The fact is, you and I have money and we need to be faithful to that too. That's a resource that we need to um, invest also in kingdom things. So my, my sub-question of that is, is a healthy portion of my time, talent, and money being invested in spiritual endeavors that will bring lasting spiritual wealth in heaven, or is my time, talent, and money being used mainly for me? Now, here's my, my little story, and uh, we'll close. As people, we like things. Okay? I especially like things. So Barb and I spent hours up in Harrisburg yesterday at the RV show. I'm looking, we are looking at getting a camper. We looked at so many campers. We looked at cheap campers. Some that I'm not sure I would fit it in. You know, you can pull them with like a bicycle. um, But... And we looked at some nice ones, and some we looked at the price tag and go, I don't care if it's nice, we're not going in there. But as we drove home, one of the things that we are pondering is, is that a wise investment of what the Lord has given me? Because you can have some who go, no, that's a luxury. No Christian should ever have that as a luxury. Then you have others that say, you know what? There's verses that say to enjoy what God has given you. And is there a way that we can use that? That was part of our conversation. Is there a way that we could use an RV? Barbara's down to a year and like three months till retirement. Yeah. I don't know if she's got it counted down to the seconds yet, but it, it's, it's getting there. Okay. So there's a way uh, she actually talked to an RV ministry. And they have ministry in these RV parks. So so our, our, our part of our conversation was, okay, if we decide to do this, and we're talking to Schifflers, we want to go look at their camper, and we've been talking to lots and lots of people. We're in a two-year research project. We're still a year out before we get anything. But we still have to solve the question, is this, is this a good investment? Now, investment from, is it going to return us money? No, we're going to... We're going to lose money as soon as we drive off the lot, just like the car. But is this a way to build some spiritual not points? Because that really connotes the wrong thing. But can we use it for spiritual things? Can we use it to further God's kingdom? And I think that tension is healthy. When we're considering how we spend our time, talent, and our money, is it primarily for me? Or are there ways that we can use that for God's kingdom? So I think that's a good tension to wrestle with. So our section today, don't trust in today's earthly wealth. We need to prioritize heavenly treasures. Your priorities demonstrate where your heart is. And a divided heart is a defeated heart. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. And Lord, if we allow it, it can be really convicting. And Lord, uh, all of us probably struggle with different, different types, different specifics connected with these. So, Lord, um, help us to allow that tension for us to think about: okay, how are we using our time? Are we are we invested in in spending our our abilities and spending time to contribute to the church or other kind of good? Uh, spiritual organizations that, that try and work toward building your kingdom. And then, Lord, how do we spend our money? What would our checkbook, what would our calendar tell us? So, Lord, we don't want a defeated heart, so help us not to have a divided heart. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.